You said Chad? <laughs> Chatteranga. Oh, Chad. 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 Oh, Chad. Oh, Chad. Mm. Oh, Chad. <laughs> oh, Chad. <laughs> Welcome to the Upper Discussion Podcast. This is a bonus episode. Um, my name is Tim Blaise. Sitting across from me, we have special, not guest, but host of the podcast, Tom Zalatni, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Tim. It's a real pleasure. I've been listening to the show since day one. I think I've heard every episode three or four times. You do sort of bring that upon yourself, do you not? Mm. How's, how are you enjoying listening back to back episodes? Uh, do we, is there anything worthwhile back there? You good, know? Good content? I think that every show starts at a beginning and then there's some content in the middle of it, and eventually it reaches, you know. Yeah, let, let's talk about that. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> um, is, is, this, is that how this interview is going to go? No. All right. So, <laughs> so let's talk. Let's talk about you, Tom Zalatni. Let's talk about me. Let's start at the beginning. Okay. What is uh? What's your first memory, Tom? Oh fuck! My first memory. Um, so I have like a handful of memories from when I was like a small, like a tyke, you know, a little, mm. a little baby boy back in Vancouver, small um, child. So you you were born here, correct? And you left for Vancouver, correct? Do you, do you so you don't have any memories of being in Montreal before you left? No, I think uh, if I'm right, uh, my mom had made plans to move like a few months after I was born, but then I might have been like late. In any case, so she moved like not that long after I was born. I guess she left real quick. Yeah, yeah. So I was a little little baby boy. When we moved to Vancouver from Montreal, and uh, man, yeah, I guess my earliest memories are when I was like three. Okay, probably. Uh, I have distinct memories of like the preschool I went to. It was a Montessori school in Marple, BC, in Vancouver. Uh, I remember watching. <laughs> so my mom was a single mom, so I would go to my buddy Dominic's house in the morning before preschool, and his mom would bring us over together. But I would get there at like six in the morning, and his mom was just like, eh, "No, wow, that is a weird, that's a a time." Well, that's because my mom had to go to, you know, whatever yeah. she was doing, uh, work probably. So it's like I'm here. Yeah. So so Dominic's mom would just like plant me in front of the TV for a couple hours with some breakfast while you know waiting till it was a reasonable hour to take us to daycare. And I remember watching Veggie Tales. Whoa. On. On their TV, and I don't remember Veggie Tales having any impact on me, but I distinctly remember that that's what it was. Uh, and then, uh, what else is an early memory? I remember having a crush on a girl named Heather, who all I remember is that her family owned a horse, <laughs> <laughs> which is, uh, or you know, I like horse horses. And thus, thus the seeds for Tom's Latin I today were planted. I, I really, suppose. I want to. Have I talked about this on the podcast ever? My 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 horse thing. <laughs> I don't believe so. Let's <laughs> let's go for it. We're skipping around in the timeline, but I like it. So I uh, I have this desire to um, fill up my Tinder profile with photos of me with various horses. 
And the way that I want to do this is by meeting girls on Tinder who own horses and taking selfies with their horses. Mm. And it hasn't worked yet. <laughs> well, because you, you don't have any selfies of you with a horse. It's a, I, yeah, it's I a think bootstrapping problem. That's it. Like, you know, I'm wearing a denim shirt in a couple of my photos mm-hmm. and I'm playing guitar in one of them. And I feel like those are things that girls who have horses might like. So I'm trying to like tailor myself toward them, you know, yeah. but yeah. it hasn't, it hasn't worked yet. But I feel like once I, once I get that first horse girl, once I take a photo with one girl's horse and post it to my profile, I'm going to unlock the seal for other horse girls. Oh yeah, definitely. And then eventually I might start meeting some seal girls and then, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but do you, do you think that it would be helpful to put in your like Tinder bio, like. I'm a man who really loves girls who really love horses. I'm just on here to meet a girl with a horse. Yeah. A fine filly. You need to make some inroads somehow into the whole horse dating scene. Well, that's the thing is I feel like I'd, I'd like to meet a horse girl genuinely first. Right. Mm. Like I would kind of like to just actually meet a horse girl based on my own merits as a person. <laughs> I don't want to like game the system too much, right? Until you meet that first horse girl and then game it all you want. Well, yeah. Basically, it's a game where as soon as I've got that first horse girl under my belt, I want to see how long it takes me to to land like six more. (laughs) Just to clarify, I don't want to like do anything with any of these horse girls except take photos of myself with their horses. Yeah, you might want to tell them that up front. They don't. You want to give them the wrong impression. You seem quiet to me today. Me? Yeah. Well, you can boost me in post. I hate boosting you in post. <laughs> use your microphone. I, right here. I'm. Is this uh, is this better? Should that's a lot better. So, Tom. Yeah. That's that's very fascinating about about Veggie Tales. Mm-hmm. I think. So you then you grew up in in Vancouver. That's right. Um, how how long was it until you like moved back to Montreal? Um. Yeah. I, we moved here in the fall of. 1999 so i was six it was just after my sixth birthday party uh we got to montreal it was like october maybe maybe november um yeah Hmm. we lived with my grandma for a bit in this like semi-basement apartment that was uh infested with cockroaches and it was like kind of in the it was like just next door to this like korean church Uh, and my mom was convinced that it was because of the korean church like maybe they had a kitchen or something. I mean, and lots that of places that was where the roaches came from, but I don't know. Lots of places have kitchens, I suppose. Yeah, but like the roaches tend to be near places with like commercial kitchens more than than regular kitchens. That's probably true. Yeah. I wonder if the Korean church was like looked over at your apartment and was like, "Those people, they're the cause of our cockroaches." These white people bringing their roaches over from the <laughs> West Coast. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was the only place we ever lived with roaches, though. And we were there for like a couple months, so it wasn't too bad. So, what did your mom? What did your mom do like for for like a job for a living while you were growing up? Like, was it consistent, or was she sort of uh, doing a bunch of stuff? It wasn't super consistent at first. She was a toy store manager when we lived in Vancouver, and also a photographer and a nanny. Hmm. So, I think those were all sort of part time gigs. Um, yeah, so she studied photography actually at Dawson. Uh, Dawson College in Montreal before I was born. Um, not long before I was born, granted. Uh, and <clears throat> But she studied all the sort of like old school photography. Uh, like, with the, like with the film and all that kind yeah, of Yeah, like actual like film photography as yeah. opposed to, you know, 
digital cameras like we use. Um, so basically like a few years after she like started trying to do that stuff professionally, everybody was able to have a digital camera really easily. And so like the need for commercial photographers started to drop a little bit. It's like the robots came for that job first. Yeah. So she, uh, she did a lot of like high, uh, like school photos and like sports team photos Mm. for a while. Um, but that wasn't going to like pay the bills long term. So, um, yeah, so she did photography things. She worked in a toy store. Um, when we got to Montreal, she got a job working as one of the like lunch monitors at the elementary school I went to, uh, which was fine because my mom was cool. Everyone loved her. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't that like trope of like you know the kid whose mom is the lunch lady. It was everybody picks on him because <coughs> his mom's the lunch lady. Yeah, exactly. They found other reasons to pick on me because my mom wasn't a good reason. They were like, "Oh no, your mom's great," <laughs> <laughs> but there's things wrong with you. Yeah, exactly. It's like you have a <laughs> shitty personality and a cool mom. <laughs> So do you, do you feel like you've always <coughs> been a, a, like a creative type, like as far back as you can remember? Like when did that, because you're, I mean, I feel like you're a person nowadays who like, like you, there's all, you always have to be making something or like thinking mm-hmm. about making something. Do you, can you sort of see where that came from? Yeah. It's a great answer, Tom's Landai. <laughs> so, like, art runs in my family. My mom did, like, a lot of photography and apparently, like, was pretty into music when she was, like, younger. Mm. Um, I've never heard her play guitar, but she told me she used to. Uh, I've heard her sing. She can sing. Uh, my grandparents, so my grandpa on her side, I don't have a dad, you know, just get that out of the way. My grandpa. We can, we can talk about that if you want. And there's not much to talk about. My mom <laughs> had sex, didn't think she could get pregnant, got pregnant, was surprised. Dad wasn't in the picture. Um, so uh, she just never explained to me why she didn't think she could get pregnant. So I have no idea if she's like low key, like on the low end of the fertility spectrum, or if she just was convinced that she was using enough protection. No clue. Never asked. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, so her dad is a goldsmith. Okay. Um, so he's in jewelry, uh, makes necklaces, bracelets, rings, etc. cetera. Mm. Um, and my grandma is a painter uh, and also worked for the Studio B animation company uh, based out of Vancouver. They did things like what's with, uh, what was that show called? What's Eating Gilbert Grape. I was going to say What's With Mimi, but that's not it. It's uh, What About Mimi. Uh, okay. She did. I don't know that one, but I do. I'm, I mean, I know about that glorious poster that you have over there. Right, right. The Jungle Cubs. Jungle Cubs. She worked on that. She worked on the Timon and Pumbaa cartoon. Um, Which I I remember that. Cart- like, yeah. I don't think I ever actually watched it, but I remember like seeing little commercials for it and stuff. Right. Uh, she did Ned's Newt. Um she worked on this one animated movie of uh, A Christmas Carol. Huh. Um, but like not the Disney one. Not the Disney one. She worked on one that had, or maybe the Disney one. She worked on the one that had Whoopi Goldberg and I think Tim Curry in it. Whoa. So whichever version that was. That's solid. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's. But the, yeah, that's like street cred. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I, b- when I was watching <clears throat> Disney cartoons of A Christmas Carol, I didn't know who Tim Curry was. Right. Yeah. No, that's the thing. I didn't know who were the voice actors in that production until I looked it up earlier this year. So I have no idea. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, and then my grandpa, my grandpa's dad. So my great grandfather was actually an opera singer in Hungary Mm. who was killed by the communists for trying to send an ink recipe to his boss in North America. Wow. Yeah. 
an uh, ink recipe. Yeah, so he worked. So he was an opera singer, and then like also worked for like an ink company or something. Uh, I forget the the whole story, but basically his boss like moved to North America and wanted to like, you know, open this company out there, and was like, hey, can you send me that ink recipe? And he did, and it was intercepted. So they threw him in jail, and then eventually killed him. Yikes! Yeah. Wow, that's intense. Uh, so yeah, creativity runs in the family. <laughs> Long line of artists. Um, I think the earliest, the earliest I remember taking an interest in music, I was seven. Okay. And uh, me, Hobbs, and Matt Perizzo were good friends when we were kids. Good friends of the podcast. Good friends of the pod. Old pod friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the three of us uh, were joking at lunch one day at school that we should start a band. And the only band we or the only song we should ever sing is um, all the small things. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> which I can't remember how that starts right now, but da, da, ba, da, 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 da. I mean, that's the guitar riff. Yeah, I mean, all the that's small the things. Yeah, yes. yes. So we were joking about that, and I told my mom, like, you know, like I'd love to like learn how to play guitar, and so she got me a guitar that Christmas, and then I never touched it. Wow. So she sold it back, um, and then I bought a guitar for the first time like eight years later, <laughs> and she was like, I can't believe you. You could have been so great at guitar by now if you had actually used it as a kid. <laughs> Um, but you know, I always sang along to the radio and stuff. Mm. So what got you like, what got you into like back into music? Was it musical theater? Was it more the, like the church music stuff? It was the church music. Yeah. I, um, I guess it was a combination of the church music and musical theater, but it was mostly, it was church music first. And then musical theater was the thing that made me take it seriously. Okay. Um, so I guess when I was in like grade nine or ten, um, we got to a point with our youth group where no one was really leading music week after week, mm. um, <laughs> or they were, but there were there was no one consistently doing it or something, or maybe there was about to be a change in leadership. I don't remember, but I kind of thought like, you know what, like I should learn how to play guitar and sing so that I can do this if I ever need to, and so I just did. Um, yeah, our friend Nathan, uh, who was one of my youth leaders at the time. Gave me his old guitar. Oh yeah, taught me four chords. Showed me how to strum properly so that I wouldn't be one of these people, <laughs> the uh, people who do the, the strange flicky fingers thing, the, the bad strummers. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "It's more important that you know how to strum first and then learn a bunch of chords after." That's like, very okay. true. Yeah. yeah. So he taught me like how to be a good rhythm guitar player, basically. Yeah, and and it doesn't take long, right? It's just like you've just got to sit with it for like a couple hours. Yeah. Do nothing but this that that strum and then it like goes into your brain. That's it, yeah. And and I'm really thankful that I learned that. On the on the other hand, I never really put a lot of time into like, you know, shredding or anything like that. Yeah. So I wish I could do stuff like that a little bit more. Uh the sort of more melodic side of guitar playing, but mm. it's fine. <laughs> um yeah, yeah, so that no. was what uh that was what got me started doing music in like a more serious way. And then I started taking it really seriously when I decided I wanted to do like musical theater stuff, um, which is probably like a year or two later. Mm. So yeah. you, I guess there's two directions I can take this. Okay, back up a bit. Yeah. Um, you come back to you come back to Montreal at six. There's this thing that is, in some senses, mythological in our um, Christian community, which is in Spiritus. Yes. And. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that figure is very large in your life. So maybe you could tell me a little bit about like what that was and what, like why it particularly made an impact on you. 
Yeah, so Inspiritus was a Christian creative arts day camp uh, that ran during the summers for about six weeks a summer. And I went there as a kid because it was the cheapest place. Um, so the first person that I met at my elementary school when we moved here was this guy named Matt, who, uh, different Matt. Um, <laughs> he A different Matt than whatever Matt you were thinking well, of, I mentioned, listeners. I mentioned Perizo earlier. Right. Uh, by the way, hashtag Stop Perizo 2017. <laughs> the campaign continues. MatthewPerizo.com. Uh, MatthewPerizo.com. Pledge your support. Um, <laughs> that, that redirects to the Wikipedia page for disappointment. <laughs> I still own that domain, and I'm never going to get rid of it. Um, So Matt uh, Poitvin was this guy's name. Uh, His family were at a Baptist church in NDG. Mm. And uh, he was one of the first people I met when we moved to Montreal and I started going to Willingdon Elementary School. And, uh, you know, we hung out a bit. He lived like a block over from me. So it was great. You know, Uh, his parents were always happy to have me over. So I got to know them pretty well. And then the first summer that we were here, my mom couldn't find a camp for me because everything was expensive. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So she ended up asking Matt's mom and was like, hey, like, where does he go? And his mom was like, oh, you know, we send him to this like Christian camp. And my mom was like, yeah, cool. I'm going to keep looking because <laughs> my mom is an atheist. Um, yeah. I think she's more agnostic than atheist, but she was, you know, not really feeling Jesus camp. Um, I feel like, yeah, most people are more agnostic than atheist if they're atheist. Yeah. Like you've got to, you've got to be pretty, I don't know. You, atheists have to make it their mission. It seems like. To That's be it. Like, yeah. Atheism. Yeah. Like I feel like if you're an atheist, you have to be kind of a dick about it. <laughs> Um, or at least you have to care a lot about religion. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's in, a, in a negative way as opposed to just being like, eh. Yeah. So my mom was like, ah, I don't really want to send him to a Christian camp. I'll keep looking. So she kept looking and <laughs> didn't find any place that was cheap enough. Mm. Uh, and one day she was kind of like fed up and took me to the pool in the neighborhood at the time. And uh, <laughs> I ran into my buddy Matt, who was there with Inspiritus, uh, you know, swimming and stuff. Nice. So I'm hanging out in the pool playing with him and all the other kids and my mom's like chatting with the camp director and they're like, oh, like, you know, why don't you send him here? And she like gets them to explain a bit of what they do during the day. And they're like, oh, you know, like we like have some like time where we sing songs with them about Jesus and then we like do a Bible study and we eat snacks and there's games and stuff. And my mom, it's funny, one of the camp directors at the time, uh, Karim, it's a good friend of mine still, he told me years later that he has clear memories of my mom telling him, I will never send my son to a camp like that. Wow. Uh, and so we left the pool and Karim was like, eh, we might not ever see that kid. Fair <laughs> enough. And then like a couple days later, we walked into the church and my mom was like, will you still take him? No one else will do this. <laughs> uh, and so they took me in for free um, because they had a policy that like, you know, no kid should not be able to go to camp for financial reasons. Yeah, that's great. Um, that's yeah. Yeah. So I went there for like years as a camper and was always kind of like, well, I don't know if I believe this, but you know, I like these people. Mm. And then when I was, I guess, 11, they, uh, the camp, like in the summer going into grade six, I think, or maybe the summer coming out of grade six. Yeah. That one. Uh, anyway, I was young. Um, the camp directors saw that me and Matt were kind of bored the previous year. And so okay. they asked if we would like to be like CITs the following summer. And we were young. in training. Yeah, like we were 11. I think Matt turned 12 during that summer. <laughs> so we were like babies, right? There were campers who were girls that went to school with us who were already 12. <laughs> uh, and they reminded us frequently. 
Um, <laughs> so it was a hard summer. And by the end of that summer, I was kind of ready to just like give up on mm. camp and on church because I spent the whole time feeling like I didn't really know what I was doing and kind of feeling like a poser. Okay. Cause I was like, I'm not Christian. I barely know the Bible. Why am I at a Christian day camp in a leadership role? <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> and at the end of that summer, uh, this kid who I'm still friends with today, uh, you know, Micah Milton. Yeah. Um, he told me at the end of that summer, I think he was like six or seven at the time, probably doesn't remember this now as an adult. Uh, but he told me that me being there that summer directly impacted his enjoyment of the summer and like made a difference. Oh. And I was like, oh, that's why I'm here, because people being places makes a difference. Cool. <laughs> uh, and so I went back the following year and then decided that year that I wanted to like actually be a Christian. So okay. I started going to church and started going to that Baptist church. But like didn't really feel it most of the time because uh, their youth group was mostly pizza parties. Mm, yeah, like, I, I had a similar experience with a, a Baptist youth group in Hudson, which was like a small amount of things I disagreed with and then a larger amount of things I didn't understand, but mostly people playing Super Smash Brothers on the right. N64. That's it. It'd be <laughs> video games, pizza parties, and sometimes soccer. And I was like, you know, like... I didn't come here for this. I came here because I'm genuinely interested in learning about Jesus. Mm. Um, and so eventually, a couple summers later, it's 2007, <clears throat> I ended up at Inspiritus again. Um, and this was actually crazy. Uh, we had gone to Hungary for three weeks right before. This is you and your family? Yeah. So me, my mom, and my grandparents. Well, my grandma was living out there at the time. Uh, so me, my mom, and my grandpa went to visit. And... Uh, we visited her, we visited my grandpa's sister who was living out there as well, and uh, it was like a little family reunion thing with like the six of us or whatever. And uh, <clears throat> while we were there, the whole time I was like, this trip is too long. Three weeks in a country where I don't speak the language? This is bullshit. I want to go home. Uh, and it like it really sank in that like we were getting back a week after Inspiritus started, and I really wanted to be at Inspiritus that last week of camp, like, right. or that last week of the trip. So the whole time I was just like, fuck, I want to go home. I want to like be with my camp friends. This is the worst. And we got back to Montreal and I went to the church and no one was there. Hmm. And I was like, what the fuck? Maybe they're just not here today. And I checked the date and it was like Canada Day. So I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. No one's going to be here on Canada Day. Went home, went back the next day. No one was there. And I'm like, um, why? The plot thickens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, went back a third day, still nobody was there. Um, and I had like shot like Facebook messages to the like two people who I knew who I thought might be there. Uh, one of them had no idea because they weren't there and the other just didn't reply. And then Charlotte Henderson, uh, our friend Josiah's older sister, calls me okay. on my mom's cell phone, which is super random because like, I, you know, just sort of out of nowhere. And did, she you, says, did you have your own phone at the time? No, I was using my mom's cell phone. Okay. <laughs> so she probably had called my mom first and then called, mm. like called my house first and then called my mom. Yeah. She's like, hey, I don't know why, but I feel like I'm supposed to call you and tell you that Inspiritus is at a new location. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's helpful because I'm standing outside the old location right now. <laughs> Whoa. And it was like a block over. So like somehow I never ran into anybody on the way there despite like, you know being a block away they were doing internal creative inspiracy things i guess yeah so i got there and it was chaos <laughs> and like everyone who knew me was so happy to see another like staff person walking <laughs> in and you know presumably coming to work because <laughs> they were exhausted and they told me 
that that summer was ridiculous for the first two weeks and then got easier once I showed up. Mm. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm not going to take credit for that. But that's a really nice thing to hear. Yeah, <laughs> and this uh, confirms your idea that being places matters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, and that was really affirming. And that was the summer that I met, uh, like, well, that I sort of more deeply connected with, like, Josiah and, like, kind of all the people who now are part of the church that I'm at. Yeah, um, and that's kind of when that that group i guess sort of formed around that time yeah like maybe i feel like there were some people who knew each other forever but mm-hmm. you know like i i sort of found you guys similar time simon think, found you guys at a similar time yeah like simon had met all of those people like i think a few months earlier at mm-hmm. like a youth event yeah. you met them like that right summer. after that camp it was, yeah at it was, another it was, camp yeah uh and so it was yeah it was a time when we all kind of like connected with this group and it was just the St. Stephen's youth group. It was, you know, right. A bunch of people I kind of knew who I got to know really well that summer. And I was like, okay, this is a bunch of like people my age who clearly know something about this whole church thing that I haven't figured out yet and mm. really like each other. I'm going to go to their youth group. <laughs> and I got there and they were actually like talking about Jesus and not just eating pizza. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. Like thinking about real questions. Yeah. So I started going there and got baptized about a year later. Hmm. So I guess, yeah. Wow. So I'm so, one of those camp kids who turned out to follow Jesus as a result of it. And who stuck with it, which I think is even more impressive. Mm. Because there's like stubborn, there's, not aggressive. <laughs> there's a there's a version of the camp kid who, you know, like you go to camp and you feel really on fire, and then you're like, well, that was an interesting thing, but it was probably just you know the the running around and having a good time, and like it, it feels like. Do Do you think it was the fact that you were also sort of like leading things? that made it have more of a a lasting thing for you? Because I feel like... I think for sure, yeah. Yeah. Like, if you if you get thrust into a position of responsibility, I mean, I guess it depends on your personality type. I am the type of person who always has a chip on my shoulder about that stuff. Mm. I have a really hard time saying no to responsibility. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and I have a hard time giving up responsibility once I have it as well. Uh, So if people are putting faith in me that I can do something and they want to give me a responsibility, I'm getting better at this (laughs) as I get older. But for sure back then, like I was very quick to say yes to it, right? Mm. Uh, And I think that when that responsibility is to people, there's it's really easy to feel locked into that kind of full-time permanently, right? Right. So if you spend a summer working with a bunch of people you just met and then they're going off to a church afterward for the rest of the year and a bunch of the kids that you were working with are there as well and you felt a responsibility to all of those people you're gonna end up at that church <laughs> like you're not <laughs> going to just disappear from all these people's lives right mm. um if you're the type of person that i am right um, yeah that's an interesting yeah. combination like i guess just being capable mm-hmm. like able to do that kind of stuff leads you to like if you if you get the responsibility. It's hard to give it up because you you can very much imagine someone doing the job quite a bit worse than you. <laughs> right. Well, there's that. And there's also like, I I never feel equipped for the things that I'm being brought into when I start them. Hmm. Um, 
<laughs> this this is like evangelical like Christianese garbage that I've heard over the years, but it I'll really resonated for me. <laughs> uh, the idea that God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Ah, uh, uh, yes, I've heard similar <laughs> things. Yeah, I think that's actually kind of nonsense. Uh, <laughs> as a, uh, a formerly called, no longer called person who uh, <laughs> was put into a lot of positions that I wasn't equipped for, I gotta say, uh, I think that it's true that God can do that, but I think mm. that like it's also not healthy for those people necessarily. Well, I unless think they're put into a position where they're actively being trained with the equipment that they need for what they believe they've been called in. Yeah, uh, it's kind of an excuse <laughs> to skimp on training. Yeah, You'd be like, well, God will work it out. It's like, well, yeah, you better do your best as well to train that person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I think in like a day camp context, it was fine because it was like you know, like we weren't teaching like salvation theology things, right? We were yeah. just you know here's some Bible stories and be nice to each other and let's eat snacks. Um, <laughs> but you know, yeah, I, I wouldn't advocate for that in like more serious positions or, you know, anything. Yeah. There, there was a, that's the thing that I think happens in a lot of youth groups and like youth based things where it's, yeah, it's mm-hmm. presumed that once you've, once you're old enough to stop being counseled, or like to stop being a, a participant, mm. you are de facto ready to be a leader, <laughs> which is so not true. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Hmm. yeah, 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 that's it. So I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I definitely have always, I always bought into that too. That mm. idea that like as soon as you, you know, graduate, you have to go back and like start working. Yeah, and like that's not how the real world world works, <laughs> except yeah. maybe in academia. Well, in the, but in the real world, you, you graduate and then you go and learn how to teach and then you come back and teach, right? If you yeah. didn't do that, it's like... That's it. And I mean, or if, you know, in the case of getting like a PhD, you just kind of acquire all of the possible knowledge about a thing and then you're de facto qualified to teach, which doesn't actually mean you're good at teaching, right? Yeah. And that's why a lot of professors are terrible teachers. Well, that's <laughs> it. Because they're they're not equipped for what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Well, because what they're, what they're really doing is their own research work. And then the teaching is like, well, someone's got to teach, which is maybe sort of how it ends up with youth groups. Too. Right. It's like, yeah. Someone's got to do it. And I think with with ministry in general, right, like not just with youth, but like, you know, I am thankful that most church tra- traditions have some type of like ordination process. And it's mm. not just like willy nilly throwing the hat to the wind. But I know churches and I've been part of churches where literally anyone can lead. Mm. And like, if you're around long enough, you kind of de facto get put into a pastor position. Yeah. It's like, no, (laughs) go to seminary. (laughs) Do some some real training. Learn your theology. So you, you started, you were leading the youth group for a while. Mm -hmm. And at the same time you were, you were in Sejep at that point. Right. So what, Tell me a bit about, about like your, your CJEP. Like, did you go right into musical theater or did you like go into a bunch of different things? Yeah. Or? So in grade 11, when I had to decide what I wanted to do for CJEP, mm. uh, I didn't really know. I figured something artsy, maybe something humanities-y because I was just like, uh, I know I don't want to do science basically. Mm. Um, and I knew I didn't want to do anything too specialized. Uh, <laughs> and then at some point I, grade 11 was the year I really got into musicals, um, and it was actually it was partly Glee and it was partly Rent. Huh. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Glee is that old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Glee started when I was in grade nine, or no, grade ten, um, maybe late grade ten, early grade eleven. Uh, and so suddenly there were you know 
there was musical theater as a thing in pop culture uh, and it yeah. was a popular thing because the first season of Glee was actually good. Yeah. <laughs> and then also I had like started playing guitar the year before and taking that stuff a little bit more seriously and singing regularly. And um, yeah, and I saw Rent once on TV uh, <laughs> and had just decided that day like, oh, you know, I want to like start watching musicals. I'm going to give those a shot. And uh, Rent was on TV and I started watching it and right. fell in love and was like, oh, man, I would love to do that. So I applied to theater school at Dawson. <laughs> I auditioned with a monologue from, God, some football movie because I was like, they need to know that I can be like a rugged man character. <laughs> um, One of those like locker room speeches. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then I, I, my Shakespeare audition was uh, Shylock's I Am a Jew speech from Merchant of Venice. All right. <laughs> um, and then my musical theater audition was a Barbra Streisand song. And the head of the theater department stopped me halfway through my song and was like, why'd you choose a Barbra Streisand song? <laughs> Um, and I was like, I just kind of felt like it. And he was like, cool, I like that. <laughs> and then, you know, I got it. Because that was enough. Yeah, well, that's it. You know, they could tell I could sing. It was, you know, it was mostly just like, you know, they have like so much time for auditions. They don't want to spend too much time. They don't need to, right? Yeah, they're like, we know we know this guy can act. We know he can sing. Now we just yeah. need to know his motivations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They were like, have, like, your CV says you have never done any theater things before. <laughs> I was like, yep, that's right. And they're like, why should we let you in? I was like, I'm, I don't know, I'm moldable and I want to do this. And they're like, that works. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. And, so, uh, yeah. And so the whole time that I was doing that, I was trying to decide... Um, because the theater department had this policy about jobs where they were like, you probably shouldn't have a job while you're here because this is your job. Mm. Uh, and I was working in youth ministry at the time. And so I was like, well, I kind of want to do both. And they were like, well, <laughs> I mean, good luck. <laughs> and eventually it got to the point where I wasn't really feeling, for one thing, there was not enough musical theater because uh, it is not a musical theater program. It's just a theater program. Mm. So it's all like acting as opposed to like musical theater acting. Okay. Uh, so it wasn't really what I wanted, and I was doing really well, but it wasn't quite what I wanted to be doing. Um, I also didn't really like the culture around it. It was a lot of like partying and like people being kind of shitty to each other. Okay. And uh, I, <laughs> I didn't want that. I was thinking, fuck this. Um, and, you know, it got to the point where I was like, well, I can keep doing this and feel stressed, uh, or I can stop doing this and, you know also not feel bad about the ministry of the work that I'm doing. Yeah. And so I did that um, and switched into just a general arts program and then dropped out a couple of years later. Do you think you would like, you would ever go back and like do more like official creative schooling or do you feel like now you can sort of self teach? Huh. Yeah. You know, I don't think I would. Mm. I think I am always going to be in favor of like private lessons. Okay. Um, I'm not currently taking any, but I would, right? Like I, you know, I took voice lessons for years. Um, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah. If I felt like it and if I had the money and had the time in my schedule. That's, that's where, <laughs> where, where, that's where it comes back to me where I'm like, well, I would do voice lessons, but I have to pay for voice lessons. Right. Yeah. And like, even after, like I could factor that in as an expense, like, you know, 40 bucks a week or something. Right. Like mm -hmm. it's not crazy. It's just also making the time for it and also like feeling like I want it and need it. Mm -hmm. And I think <clears throat> there's a benefit to 
always having some type of instruction going on. Um, but with something like music, I find it more helpful if there's a goal I'm working toward. Like I want to learn how to sing in this style. Right. So I'm going to take lessons until I feel like I've got it. Or I want to learn how to read sheet music. Or I mm-hmm. want to learn how to play like basic chords and melodies on the piano, right? As opposed to just like, teach me everything. I want to learn. <laughs> well, you've, I mean, you've sort of come back to like the, the acting part with, with like your, your comedy and improv stuff. Yeah, now. totally. Do you feel like that's the, is it the same creative impulse that like led you to do more like music and theater that that's like in, in back of your, your more comedy interests now, like with the, with improv and with, you know, your, trying to write sitcoms and do these like YouTube video cooking stuff. Is it the same thing you're trying to accomplish you think, or are those two different aspects of you? Hmm. Well, I think since we started doing stuff on YouTube together in like 2012 or Mm -hmm. whatever, uh, 2011, either way. Yeah, it was 2011. Yeah, it sounds right. Anyway, since we started doing cabin nine back in the day, I've known that I wanted to be doing some kind of online media um, just because the whole world of it was really fascinating to me at the time. Like I really thought it was cool that like there were people who made their lives off the internet. Right. Right. And you actually like you, you follow some online creators like a lot more closely than I do, I think. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so I just had to just do my belt. Tom's just, a lot of lasagna. just unbuckling himself. I got to settle in for a long winter's nap. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've always wanted to, I guess, be out there, I guess. Mm. Um, so maybe the connection between like theater school and doing internet things and doing improv now, the, the, the only real common thread, I think, is just that I want to perform. Right? Okay. Uh, I like performing. I like putting myself out into the world so that people can consume me, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Is it that you're trying to like, is it, is it more like that, that inspirious feeling of like, I'm here and I'm making a difference or is it more of an internal, like I need to, I need to create or I need to speak. Um, yeah, maybe a little of both. Mm. I think that I enjoy artistic community a lot. Like I enjoy being a part of, So, like, since I started doing stuff at Montreal Improv, um, I've met all these really cool people who are really, like, interesting to talk to and funny and, like, there's kind of a mutual appreciation for each other's talent, right? Uh, And I find you just don't get that from people who aren't also performers. Hmm. Like, when I talk to people who, you know, enjoy the work that I do or, like, you know, they like my videos but they don't also perform... It's a different relationship. Yeah. I can't, like, you know, we don't have to do the same type of performance, right? Like, you and I do different things, but I feel like we get each other on that level. But, like... Because you can, you can talk about the things that you're creating. Right. <laughs> like, it's not like a... Uh, yeah, it, it's not that the person has to be working on the same type of project as much as, like, if someone is actively using the creative parts of their brain to work on stuff, I feel like I can make a deeper connection with them. And so being surrounded by people who are actively working on creative stuff is like really, really satisfying. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, it, it's, I mean, it's a connection, right? Yeah, yeah I don't, exactly. I, I think it took me a while to realize that not everybody wants to do that. Like, mm. cause for me it was sort of just 
like I've grown up creating things and having my my siblings create things and us make stuff for each other. And it's just like, this is what people do. Yeah. So yeah, it's almost like I don't know how to, I have much harder time talking to somebody if they don't have something like that. Totally. What do do, you know? What are you making these days? And they're like, I don't know, nothing. Yeah. I Um, I frankly just sometimes find those people super boring. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. Like I'll, you know, I'll meet new people and I'll be like, oh, like we should like talk and get to know each other. And then I'll quickly realize like, oh, I don't find your life interesting because you're not doing anything. Right. And I guess that's like, that's, that's fine. The person might not find you interesting if they, sure. if they, if your life is all about the things you create and they don't have any reference point for that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> the, the worst though is when they do find what I do really interesting mm. and I find nothing of their life interesting and I'm like, oh fuck, <laughs> I don't think I can have like an interpersonal relationship with you. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I wonder if yeah. that's a, yeah, that, I, I find that too. And I usually consider that that's just a social deficit on my part. I'm like, if mm. I was, if I was better at conversation, maybe I would know how to make this work. Yeah. I mean, yes and no. Like, I think there's also like a there's a vanity to it for sure. (laughs) There's an awkwardness to it, Mm -hmm. but I think it's also just a true thing that like, if you can't find something interesting in what the other person is, (laughs) (laughs) then you're not going to have a relationship with that person. Right? Like it's, it's a chemistry thing, right? Like you can't expect to get along with every single person you meet because you're going to meet people who you're like, yeah, nope, nothing here resonates well yeah like, and relationships have to be something that both people are actively getting something out of totally and so when i meet people who like think that what i'm doing is really cool and then i start talking to them and they're just like oh, i don't know like you know i read a little bit or like you know i'm, I'm studying and yeah. like all right well you do that i'm gonna go talk to this guy because he can do backflips <laughs> I, I always sort of hope that that person is like actually does have a lot of interesting things to think about but isn't actually confident enough to mm. like put them out there because you know most people have are interested in things and that's the thing right because i can talk to people who are passionate about stuff that i couldn't give two shits about mm. and i will love talking to those people because they're invested in what they're working on yeah if you haven't found something to invest in i just find you boring <laughs> and so that means everyone has potential to be a person that i find mm-hmm. interesting it's just some people haven't got there yet so if you're a, one of those people who's worried about either being boring because you don't talk or boring because you talk about things that people don't care about be the second one yeah we do a podcast <laughs> with simon we love him, even though he talks about ampersands. That's it. I, I saw a fun little like comic about the ampersand this week, and I was like, I should share this on Simon's wall. And then when I clicked out of the window from it, I noticed that I saw it because someone else had shared it on his wall. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's I like mean, all things ampersand. But yeah, like yeah, it's it's a passion thing, right? Yeah. Like if you're passionate about something, you can talk to people about it and get excited. And like, I think not everybody is open to that about everything. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's what we have going for us as hosts of this podcast is that the three of us are all curious people who like to hear people talk about the things they're excited about, mm-hmm. even if we don't know about them yet. Yeah. Passionate about things that even if the other person doesn't care, you care enough for the, all of you. Yeah. Oh, there goes the belt. Tom's exactly. really letting loose. I'm just a fat little boy today. All right. All right, Tom, let's talk about food. Oh, God, I have such a complicated relationship with food. <laughs> Let's unpack that. All right. So, like, I've been, I've been, like, overweight my entire life, right? Um, 
never obese, <laughs> never like horribly overweight, but always overweight. Always on the, like, on the f- fuller side of the spectrum. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I mean, maybe when I was a kid, I wasn't as much, but you never really know with kids, right? Mm. Um, I was never scrawny, though. Like, I, I was def- always, you know, at least had a little bit of something on me. I didn't think of you as this, as any particular shape when I met you, I don't think. <laughs> but you could have just worn large t-shirts. I did, yeah. I've always been good at masking it with the clothes that I wear. Mm. Um, I mean, on and off, right? Sometimes I care more than others, but, you know. Sometimes you whip off your belt in glorious. <laughs> <laughs> Look, <laughs> I ate like a third of the lasagna like an hour ago. It's like I'm releasing myself. <laughs> I have to like set loose the the the, the belly yep. once in a while. Um, but yeah, so I, yeah, I think I started having like body image issues when I was very young, probably like 10 is the earliest I can remember. Wow. Um, which is crazy because I wasn't like super fat for a 10 year old, but I was definitely not in shape either. Mm. And the fucked up thing about like 10 year olds is that some people have hit hit puberty around then, right? And so there's like a handful or they're like about few, to. But few, yeah. Or they're like close enough to it that they've started to notice that like <laughs> they're capable of looking good or looking bad. Mm. And so there are 10-year-old guys and 11-year-old guys who are already working out and already playing sports a lot and already have muscles. They, they tend to wear fedoras. <laughs> <laughs> they wear like button-up shirts. Yeah. So, I don't know. I remember being in like grade five or six and there were already guys who I was like, wow, like you're in good shape and Mm. I feel bad about myself as a result. Um, and so I, at that point felt like I looked bad because I had short hair. Uh, and so I started growing my hair out and this is why I had long hair all through high school because all through high school, I was convinced that fat guys look better with long hair. I don't know where I got this idea, uh, I think it was that, you know, if you've got longer hair, it makes your head look bigger. So in proportion to the rest of your body, it doesn't look tiny, which makes the rest of your body look a normal size. Hmm. The thing is, I didn't have a particularly huge body in comparison <laughs> to my head that is also huge. Yeah, you look <laughs> fairly well proportioned. That's it. I'm just a, I'm a bigger build of person. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, it took me a while to realize that like I wasn't obese. I was just, you know, I've always been chubby. But I wasn't like huge because I was fat. I was huge because I have like a bigger build, right? Yeah. Um, and so in grade eleven, I finally was like, you know what? I feel like I'm actually confident in myself now. And I like buzzed my hair off, and everyone was like, "Holy shit, Tom looks good!" And I was like, "I do look good. Cool." <laughs> um, yeah. And That's... I think like the frustrating thing for me is like, no matter what my diet is, I will always have basically this body. Mm. So it's an exercise thing. Okay. And I just don't feel like exercising. (laughs) Like, I think if getting into good physical shape took about half as much effort as it takes, Mm -hmm. I would be all over that. But it takes twice as much effort as I'm willing to put it. Right. And doing half as much doesn't actually get you anywhere. So my solution is to not bother. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I feel that. Although I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum Mm -hmm. in terms of. In terms of weight, I'm the person who is shrinking away. Right. Um, but yeah, because for me, exercise would be the would be the thing that would actually motivate me to eat 
and then also motivate me to have some sort of skeletal muscular structure. Right. Um, but, but in your defense, you started exercising and immediately tore your ACL. That's true. <laughs> it was like a month into playing soccer, you had a serious <laughs> leg injury. It wasn't, wasn't great. But that, I mean, it's been a longer term thing than that, I think. Sure. Um, but you've, uh, when, I, when I said food, the other thing is that like, you're the first person who sort of made me understand food a little bit. Oh, cool. Like in terms of, I can't remember. What it, I think it was like living with you the first time and you making like chili and stuff. And being like, okay, well, like, here's what goes into chili. Right. And like, like, it seems like you really had an understanding of that. Sure. Yeah. And I'm wondering where that came from. Um, I think when you live in a single parent household, you have to learn how to take care of yourself a bit faster, right? Mm. You, as the youngest child of three siblings with two parents, yeah. probably just didn't have to cook for yourself. Yeah. Like ever, right? Not particularly. Yeah. And then when I <laughs> when I left home, I didn't care enough to learn. <laughs> right. Yeah. Whereas like for me, like I remember taking an interest in food when I was like 10 or 11 because, mm. you know, I could. And, you know, if my mom was working a little bit later that day, like I could throw something together or like, you know, in high school, I would cook dinner like once every couple of weeks or something, you know. Mm. Yeah. And, I, you know, there was a brief period in grade 10, I think, where I wanted to like be a cook. So I really took it seriously that year. I okay. did a student for a <laughs> good question, Tim. <laughs> Clearly, we didn't just cut some dialogue where I was trying to find a person's name. And now uh, it's going to be awkward if they ever listen to this podcast. <laughs> I did a uh, I did a student for a day thing at a culinary school once, and uh, like by the end of that day. I knew that I wanted to continue cooking, and I also knew that I never wanted to do it professionally. That's that's a very good and <laughs> and quick realization. Yeah, well, they really threw you like you know. I was with a group who were in like a kitchen cooking that day for like a an actual like lunch service. Like I think the school had a restaurant that operated out of it. Mm. Um, <laughs> that operated out o- of it. Operated. Yeah. Yes. Um, fuck. We can get into my weird voice later. <laughs> stories. Um, so the yeah. So we like spent the day like cooking in the kitchen and like doing prep for like you know meals and stuff. And I remember thinking, this is super fun, but also, like, days like this would destroy me. I'd rather Mm. just do this to enjoy myself at home. Yeah, cooking is, like, in a kitchen is apparently very hard work. Yeah, and the hours are not fun. Mm. Like, for the most part, you end up working, like, when people are out eating dinner, which means that you don't really get to do things in the evening. Your day is, like, weird. Like, you start in the afternoon a lot of the time and, like, go to bed super late. And I've always known that I wanted to have a family eventually. And so, like, the idea of being a professional cook was like, well, why would I do that? I can't spend the evenings with my family. Mm, yeah, that's so, true. Yeah, I was yeah. talking to Tim Barrett about that a couple mm. weeks ago. And he was, he's, uh, he's been doing the same cooking job for a couple of years. But it's like, it's one of those restaurants that closes at like 1230 or like one in the morning. Like, I think it's right. sort of a pub slash restaurant type thing. Yeah. Yeah, it seems to really be something that can burn you out. Totally, yeah. Because you you sort of, you become really isolated. Yeah, like it has to be the thing you want to do. And like, I don't know. Mm. I love cooking, but I don't think I want to do it professionally ever. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. So So when you're, uh, you, you, so you're, you're eventual, like you do want to be a dad. I do. You want to have a, a fam jam. That's the thing that like I want, I think, most in the world. Mm. is to eventually have a family yeah yeah so do you like do you have a long-term plan in terms of like career or like like where you want to be like what you want to end up doing at this point do you want to stick in kind of the 
like managerial type stuff you're you're uh, currently you're currently doing? Do you is your plan to eventually jump full into something creative? You know, I uh, I realized (laughs) I realized that having long term plans uh, is kind of nonsense. Um, So I keep my plans tight. And I plan for what I want to work on at any given time. Okay. Uh, so to answer your question, I do, my current day job is great. Mm. Um, it affords me the luxury of working from home, setting all the hours that I want to set, working with people I like. Um, it pays me well enough that I can survive. Um, and I think it'd be perfect if I, you know, had a family, I'd have the flexibility to, you know, do things with them. Right. Hmm. Uh, it's not the most fulfilling work, so I wouldn't mind if my, you know, main source of income was coming from creative project. I think that'd be amazing. Um, so I think I'm always going to kind of work toward that, but if it never happens, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny cause I, it seems to me that this is something that I'm, I'm thinking about recently is that like when you, you, when you jump into creative stuff full time, then you're very unstable yeah. And like, I've been wondering about how to, you know, how to eventually go about having a life where, where like a family life is possible. Mary Rich. <laughs> <laughs> That's my plan too. <laughs> just, just find someone who makes a lot of money and for some reason wants to marry you. Yeah. No, that's it. You you find a girl who wants a family and has always been super conflicted about, you know, her her two desires to have a family but also to be a successful like person in their field of study or whatever, uh who makes a lot of money and like makes advances in their field. Uh and you marry them and then you are a stay-at-home dad so that you can keep working on your creative projects when you're not dealing with the kids and your spouse makes more money than you. You know, I'll I'm bet- like super fucking down for that <laughs> shout out to all those girls who fit that criterion um yeah. if you own a horse that's in the special <laughs> listen ladies all i want bonus. is a girl with a horse and a 401k i mean those probably go together more often than not oh for sure <laughs> like, girls with horses come from money <laughs> <laughs> or they've worked their entire lives for a horse to have a horse yeah <laughs> like that, you, that was their dream what's your like ultimate goal in life why are you like working so hard to make so much money well i just want a horse you know, all I've wanted since I was a kid is a horse. Mm. Just one. Just a single horse. Singular horse. To treat with love and affection. This is my horse, the fastest man in the world. That feels, that's a callback joke. That's a callback to our live show from last August. Man. Oh, dear. You have a you have a good memory for our podcast S- ventures. Some might call it encyclopedic. Others might say it's because I produced the show. <laughs> Mm. But yeah, no, I would, uh, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna act like my desire to have a family doesn't come from a place of brokenness, right? Hmm. You know, growing up in a single parent home across the country from my grandparents, like being pretty much just me and my mom and kind of seeing her struggles and, you know, feeling the effects of living with only one parent, like, you know, makes me really long and yearn for the day that I can give something better than that to my own kids. Right. But also my mom did a fucking great job. So like, you know, (laughs) I, you know, I'm really thankful that, you know, I had a really good mom through all of that. Right. Yeah. Like it could have been so much worse, but it also could have been so much easier. Yeah. It's like she had a hard situation and she did her best with it. And you turned out as (laughs) the witty and 
conflicted person you are today. That's it. I'm nuanced. You're, you're complicated. Tom is a complicated man. He has deep, <laughs> deep and brooding emotions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so if you are a girl who is rich and <laughs> desires someone like that in your life, go to youtube.com slash up for discussion podcast. What are you doing? I don't know. <laughs> go to patreon.com slash up for discussion. If you pledge $500 a month, I'll marry you. <laughs> <laughs> This is a uh, low bar, actually. That's not even rent. <laughs> mm, Tom's a Latina. He can be bought. Yeah, yeah. I love today. A low price. <laughs> you just got to prove you're fertile <laughs> and willing to commit to expenses. How does one prove one is fertile? Give me a baby. <laughs> <laughs> you need to. So it's a plus if she already has a child and She's got to currently be pregnant with a child, okay. but not in contact with the father. Oh, my. <laughs> We'll have a quick wedding. I'll take the baby. Then I'll judge her on whether or not I want to actually spend time with her. It's a whole application process. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. um, she has to record a podcast episode with us that gets more than 150 hits in the first week. And then mm-hmm. I'll consider allowing her to be in my space more frequently. Yeah. She needs to have a, a very, she needs to be a, a highly creative person so mm-hmm. that you can speak to her about things. She's got to have a third nipple. I don't care where it is. Mm. Can Just it in be, case we have triplets. Can it be grafted? Does mm. it have to be real? You know, case by case. Mm. What if you... Uh, she's got to love Jesus. She's mm-hmm. got to be mostly conservative, but really liberal also. Yeah. Um, like she's got to be really, really affirming of the LGBT community, but not completely convinced that marrying them in a church is the right idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she's got to own a horse, mm-hmm. um, but be more of a cat person. She's got to be okay with the fact that we can't have cats in our current apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's got to settle for having a dog eventually instead of having cats ever again in the rest of her life. That's a pretty good compromise between cat and horse. Yeah. She's got to be cool with flatulation both in private and in public. Uh, her favorite movie needs to be School of Rock or Rent. Uh, I'd also settle for Periscope Down. <laughs> down Periscope? Down Periscope, rather. Um, the Kelsey Grammer vehicle from the eighties. <laughs> uh, if she doesn't watch Frasier, I'm not going to date her. It's when, my policy. When you first tell her the joke about the novel, about the movie based on a novel pushed by Sapphire, she needs to laugh. If she doesn't laugh, I throw her off a bridge. Okay. If she doesn't like 30 rock, throw her off a bridge. Mm. If she doesn't think it's funny that I'm making this long series of jokes about my requirements for who I would date, I don't want to date her. If, you, if you're a girl and still listening to this podcast, hit me up. <laughs> it's funny because I'm so not nearly that picky. I uh, we should, basically we should my probably only, specify that for the new listeners. Yeah, that was a bit. It's great. My only real qualifications qualifications. <laughs> if you want to marry me, if you want here's to what apply. you gotta know. <laughs> if you want to audition for the role of my wife, <laughs> uh, the no, but my only real like deal breaker things are like. I have to find you interesting. You have to be like into Jesus and you have to like, you know, want kids. Mm. I think everything else I can kind of like navigate as it comes. Like I wouldn't, I just wouldn't want to date someone who doesn't want kids. Yeah. I mean, if you're, you, cause you're looking at dating as, as like starting a marriage family. Thing, yeah. Right. Like absolutely as a starting a marriage family thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a precursor. I think not every dating relationship needs to lead to marriage because that's pressure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, why would I date someone if I didn't want to potentially spend the rest of my life with them, right? Yeah. I, if I if I just wanted to make out with someone, 
and was sure that I didn't want to spend the rest of my life with them, I wouldn't attach a label to it. Mm. I would just make yeah. out with that we person. We are making out buddies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, they're, they're, this is the person that I'm currently making out with. <laughs> you can introduce them like that at parties. Yeah, only if I'm currently making out with them. <laughs> Otherwise, I might be like, we made out like four hours ago, and now we're at this party together. And, uh, you yeah, know, I don't know. Sort of, yeah. No, yeah. You have to do it with sign language if you want to introduce them as the person you're currently making out with. Only if they're deaf. Well, like how you, you're not really free to talk in that circumstance. Clearly, you don't know how good I am at making out. Making like multitasking. Yeah, I'm really good at talking while kissing. Mm. Is that an album, Talking While Kissing? I don't know. That sounds like a thing. Most multitasking is really just switching between two activities really fast. So I feel like that's probably the best way to do that. That's what most case. of my relationships are like. Switching between two activities. So, Tim, what's your next question? Um, you got a next question? I don't know. What is the... Uh, I guess we, we we can kind of wrap up here. We're what? getting close to the hour mark. Are we? When um, did we start? Yeah, we started around oh, yeah. uh, around 7, and we're, it is now 8 o'clock. We're right about there. So do you, like, what do you want people to... People often ask, like, what do you what do you want people to say about you when you die or something like that? Um, but I, I I think that's a little like dying is hopefully a long way off. I know that you think you're going to be dead in a year, but 27 club, <laughs> not a year. I've got like three and a half. All right. Um, I would prefer to ask you, what do you hope people would be saying about you now? Right now? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I. There's been like a handful of, I always call these personal reviews. Okay. Like, you know, you know, when you see like a book or an album and it's got like a review, this doesn't happen with albums. I don't know why I chose that. When you see a book and on the back cover, it's like, um, it, damn it. Where's Misfit Faith? I was going to quote the back of that book. <laughs> <laughs> we threw it on the floor last week. Oh no, I lent it to Nick. Okay. Uh, so, so it'll say something like, you know, um, acapella science does a great job of, uh, entertaining people and teaching them high concepts in math and physics at the same time mm. a fun read for kids and adults alike right you, you always see these like reviews on the back of books yeah. i always like when people say things to me about me or like say things about me i always like to imagine them as like quotes on the back of a book <laughs> uh, and i call those like personal reviews you know right um and when we were flying back from next up uh the guy i was sitting next to on the plane um Ben Willingdorf. Yeah. Uh, oh, he's a great guy. He's actually going to be in Montreal in like a couple of days. Oh, cool. We should, uh, we should hit him up. He's doing like a, a, a talk about YouTube branding or something. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I really like that guy. But I had a weird first impression of him. And he had kind of a weird first impression of me. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, by the end of the week, we liked each other a lot. And the first thing he said to me when we got on the plane was, you know, you're like an awesome person. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't think that, but thank you. And he's like, no, like you just like, you're the type of person who seems to want to make people feel comfortable and like want to make people feel like they belong in a group. Mm. And I was like, oh, I really like that. I don't often think that about myself. So thank you. And that like stuck with me. Like I was like, oh, cool. Like I made an impression on this guy after like a week. You know? Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause that, yeah. Because that's like an aspirational thing but a thing that you already are so it's like a thing you can you can just kind of aspire to be more right well that's it because i think that it's also entirely possible for people to not get that vibe from me Mm -hmm. (laughs) so frankly when you told me that i was like (laughs) cool i'm glad you feel that way i think i'm a dick Um, so yeah i think you know if i wanted to you know aspire to having people see me a certain way i would want it to be i would want them to see me as a person who works really hard um and also obviously 
cares about people and like about making people feel like they belong. Hmm. So yeah. Tom's Latin yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. You know, it's my pleasure. I've been <laughs> listening since day one and I've been listening f- since day two as well. There was day two was a week after day one. <laughs> Not for me. I edited it. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably true. Yeah, I literally like every episode that's in a best of means that I've listened to it at least three times. Once while um, you were we were saying it. And then oh yeah. Twice afterwards. Well, like once while I'm saying it, once while editing, and then like one and at and like a quarter maybe while I was editing the best of. Um because I listened through the whole thing and then I cut the clips later, right? Mm, yeah. Which is horribly inefficient. <laughs> and I think I'm going to make it easier on myself with the next one. Um, but yeah, so at least three times. And then I've also just listened to all of them. Like they pop up in my iTunes podcast feed. So, so I guess listen- a fourth time. You're like, oh, Up for Discussion is a new podcast. Wow. Crazy. I love these boys. <laughs> well, it's fun actually because I get to listen to it at 1.5 speed when it mm. pops up in the podcast which makes us just so much wittier oh we're so fucking funny (laughs) guys if you haven't listened to us in 1.5 what are you doing with your lives guys go back to the beginning of this episode listen to it at 1.5 it'll only take you three quarters of the time that's two-thirds even bam 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 yep is it yep wait i think we're gonna look at some fractions once we finish (laughs) recording because i I, spent a really long time thinking it was no, that's 1.25 is 75%. You're right. No, 1.25 no. is 80. Is it? I we're, we're, we'll, We will sort this out. That is 80 because it's five seconds for every four seconds. You're right. Yes. So 1. 1. 1.5 is two is three seconds. It's two seconds for every three seconds. Yeah. Which is two thirds. So it's two thirds. Fuck. Bam. Cool. So much time saved. Math. So um, thanks, guys, listen. for, for listening to this uh, this interview for you who got this early as bonus Patreons. Mm -hmm. You're great. Everybody else, you got it eventually. So I'm glad you also got to know a little bit more about my good friend. Tommy Z. T-Zone. Tombstone. There was that brief time when I proposed nicknames for us where I would be T-Zone and you would be T-Bone. Yeah, it didn't. we both start with T and your last name starts with B and mine starts with Z. Yeah. And then I thought about it more. And T-Zone works for me also because I, I take care of my face skin fairly well. And the T-Zone is like a section of your like face skin hmm. also. And and you like steak maybe? No. Well, fuck. I mean, I, I, I am the one of us who still eats meat most of the time. Oh, God. I want to eat more meat. Let's, uh, let's do that. So, guys, if you like this bonus episode, uh, you can get these two weeks early by subscribing to us on Patreon. You can give as little as a dollar. Yeah. Um, we're going to have more bonus content every month. We don't know yet what April's bonus content is going to be. It's Not a fucking sure. mystery. It could be lots of things. <laughs> Tim, what are some of the things it could be? It could be Tom interviewing our chicken mascot. It could... Uh... There we go. Just th- that for an hour. I need to hold the mic in my hand more often. This is great. Or 40 minutes if you're on 1.5 speed. Um, (laughs) It could be breath noises. Could be an ASMR bonus episode. Oh, that could. I'm actually pretty down to do (laughs) that. That'd be fun, (laughs) yeah. That sounds good. We might just interview each other in reverse order now. We, I mean, we'll do that eventually. We might not do it right away. Yeah. Yeah. We we uh, need to get some new people who don't know us. Yeah. We could do a, um, we could do like a 
um, a live director's commentary to a movie that none of us have seen before. We could do live commentary to the first episodes of Up for Discussion. (laughs) 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 We listen to it and give our feedback to our younger selves. That'd be bad. (laughs) We could uh, we could do a table read of a of a script that I'm writing. We will Mm -hmm. do that eventually. We won't do that in April unless I'm very productive this month. Mm hmm. We could uh, we could have an hour of artfully drumming on the pop filters. We could do a we could have an episode where it's just our moms talking to each other instead of instead of us. That would be fascinating. That'd be really fun. <laughs> it's like the mom episode. I think I have a theory that we if we could convince Simon's mom to get on board, then your mom and my mom would be down for it. Probably. I think she's the one that we need to get on for it. Hmm. Because like. Simon's mom likes to talk. Simon's people, mom right? is cool, yeah. yeah. And like, I feel like your mom will be like, "Oh, that sounds like fun." And my mom will definitely only do it if both the other moms are already committed. Mm, yeah, yeah. Simon's mom is the busiest, I think, of the three. So if we can get her to commit, it won't be it won't be hard to get the other two. I think we should do it for like right. Mother's Day or something. Well, we'll see. Tune in to the next bonus content to find out whether <laughs> our mothers are going to talk shit about us on the podcast. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be fun. <laughs> Um, yeah. Yeah. If, uh, well, pa- Twitter, Patreon, Patreon, Twitter, Instagram, guys, Facebook. Yeah. Brought to you by Megabus. Megabus. Wait, what? <laughs> Bye. You said Megabus. I did. That's not our sponsor. Our sponsor is Wendy's. <laughs> I meant to say Harvey's. Wendy's can fuck off.